On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we will be recapping the rest of the NFL draft, uh, taking a look at the Patriots picks and other picks from around the league. Um, we will also be taking a further look at Mac Jones and what to expect from him this season. Uh, we will also get to uh, looking at some teams that did very well in the first in the in the draft, and some teams that maybe did not do as well. We'll also get to the Aaron Rodgers situation and some other uh, news and notes from around the NFL. We will also get to talking about the Bruins. They are in the playoffs. We'll take a look at kind of a first guess at what their uh, lineup might look like uh, for game one of the playoffs. Uh, we'll also take a look at uh, who their best matchup in the East Division might be. We will also look at some more Bruins stuff, just things to look for in the last couple of games of the regular season. Um, and then we will talk about uh, Tom Wilson and the New York Rangers and this situation that has really gotten out of hand. Uh, so we'll get to that and we'll also get to some other notes from around the NHL. We'll also get to some NBA as well. We'll talk about the Celtics as they gear up for their final stretch before the playoffs. Um, and we will also take a look at some news and notes from around the NBA and who's playing well for the Celtics. Uh, we will also get to some Red Sox stuff as uh, their season is a little bit more than a month old. So we'll take a look at some players um, that need to be better for them, you know, as they get further into the season. Um, and we'll also take a look at the division and see how that is changing seemingly by the day. We'll give you an update about Chris Sale. We'll also get to uh, some news and notes from around baseball. And then we will talk about the revolution as they are currently tied for first place in MLS. So we will get to them as well. Let's go. going on everyone welcome to the program it is not your average boston sports podcast i am your host garrett hayden you can follow the uh twitter page and the facebook page um, if you would like at not boston on twitter and uh, you can listen on apple podcasts and on spotify uh, trying to get that intro in as quickly as i can uh, because there's so much to get to this week um, you know, maybe not from a pure, you know, content standpoint exactly, but um, there have been a lot of things that have happened in sports um, in the last couple of days, in the last really week or so, really since the uh, rest of the NFL draft. There's been so much going on, um, you know, Boston sports, you know, sports really all over um, as the draft has been completed. Everyone's talking about the draft and, you know, everyone in the hockey world is talking about Tom Wilson. So, um we will get to that. Uh, we will get to the Tom Wilson thing. But uh, first, it makes sense for us to delve into the draft and take a look at some of the Patriots' picks. I will tell you that I wrote an article earlier this week on Garrett Hayden Sports Media uh, breaking down each of the picks from this year's draft class. 
So you can go read that if you would like. Um, so I figure, you know, dive right into it, dive right into the picks. We'll also take a look at some other teams um, and kind of how they made out in the draft. Um, so Patriots, obviously, when we um, spoke last, you know, we broke down the first round pick of Matt Jones. And, you know, it seems like this is an interesting direction that the Patriots are going. I think that maybe Mac Jones is not everyone's first choice, you know, in terms of being a quarterback, but I kind of have a feeling that the Patriots were um, kind of always after him. Um, and I just will say that the, some of the discourse this week um, has been kind of strange, you know, and it's not really surprising considering some people that it's coming from, but there just this seems to be a lot of like, the Patriots didn't love Mac Jones and that he just fell to them at 15. And if they really liked him, they would have traded up for him. And I just find that incredibly misleading because that means to me that the Patriots are going into the draft wanting a certain person and then they have a certain person fall to them and they're like, oh, whatever, like we just have to make do with what we have. I don't really know where that's coming from exactly because you know, if you're the Patriots, like, and we heard this, we heard this months before the draft, that the Patriots did a lot of research on, you know, all the top quarterbacks, you know, whether it was thinking that they were, they were going to pick them, or whether it was already looking at kind of some advanced scouting, because the Patriots will play the Jags this year, and play Trevor Lawrence, they're going to play Zach Wilson in the Jets twice, twice a year for the next however long his career is. So it's like, it made sense that the Patriots were detailed in, you know, each of their breakdowns. And I just think that, yeah, they may have really liked Mac Jones. They may have really secretly really wanted him because he's kind of that stand up, sit in the pocket type guy, really accurate and probably can translate pretty well to the pro game, you know? And it just was weird because it's like, it just seemed like, people were thinking that the Patriots didn't really love him, or some people were saying that. And they're making the argument that, okay, if you really love a player, you should trade up. But, you know, that argument falls flat on its face. Um, and it just, I don't know, it's just it's very strange that that's the way people were going to try to be like, oh, you know, don't celebrate Bill Belichick for making this pick, you know, because if he loved him that much, he would have traded up. And I don't know, it's just something that probably doesn't matter, but it just kind of annoyed me this week. And I think that, you know, going into further talking about Mac and kind of what his future is this season, you know, I think that there's a lot of different thoughts about the way that it could go. I mean, I think personally, you know, and this is based on kind of historically how things have gone with the Patriots. I mean, I think that Bill Belichick has made it clear that Cam Newton is the starting quarterback. You know, he is the starting quarterback until someone below him starts playing better. And, and plays really well. So I think that, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. You know, I think that most people probably should be understanding that that's what's going to happen, that Cam Newton will be the starter at the start of training camp. And, you know, unless something crazy happens, unless Mac Jones really impresses, Cam Newton really struggles or gets hurt, you know, you're really not going to see anything crazy happen. Now, I think that into the regular season, that's kind of where things get interesting. If the Patriots get off to a great start and they start the season 3-1, and 4-0, you know, something like that, then there really doesn't need to be a conversation. Then it's like, okay, Patriots have a good record. This is assuming Cam Newton does well. I can't see the Patriots doing really well without Cam doing well. 
Um, but yeah, you could go into you know week five of the season and the Patriots are three and one, you know, or four and zero, oh, and they're off to a really good start. Then no one really needs to worry about whether Mac Jones should play. I mean, I think the worst case scenario is the Patriots, you know, either get off to a bad start. Well, I would say if they get off to a bad start, then it would be pretty obvious that Mac Jones should be you know put in. But I think this is really where it gets interesting. If the Patriots start the season, you know, three and three and are at, you know, week seven or week eight, and it's like, okay, you kind of don't know, you know, that's what kind of concerns me because then obviously you're going to have screams from all the fans that Mac Jones should now be playing. Um, and then you'll have the, I mean, I don't know. It, it's it's going to be interesting. I'm realizing that I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. Um, but I think most likely scenario is, Cam Newton, you know, stays the starting quarterback, has a pretty decent season. Patriots get to the playoffs. Um, Cam maybe, you know, then signs a deal somewhere else in the offseason and the Patriots go with Mac Jones uh, year two. That I think is the most likely scenario. I really don't see any other scenario happening. I really don't see, you know, Mac Jones taking Cam Newton's job in camp or in the preseason, you know, unless something drastic happens. Um, like an injury or, you know, Mac Jones just plays so well that it's impossible to ignore. Um, so that's what I think about him. As far as the other picks, um, I really was happy with the picks. I really felt like there was not one pick this year that I came away with being like, okay, why are they drafting this person? You know, I think that they drafted each of these players for a specific purpose. You know, I think when you get later in the draft, it's hard to pinpoint exactly you know, where a player is going to fit in, you know, it's kind of unfair. You know, it's kind of like you draft guys rounds five to seven. You kind of don't really know. You know, it's kind of a crapshoot at that point, you know. So anyone trying to say that, oh, you know, Trey Nixon should should have expectations at all, you know, you're lying. A seventh round wide receiver should not have any expectations. Now, if he gets a spot on the team or really impresses in preseason, you know, that's another story. But I think you can't expect that. You can't say something like, oh, the Patriots have failed again at drafting a wide receiver, you know, in the seventh round. And it's like, believe it or not, that's been that's been a, a pretty regular conversation over the last couple of years that the Patriots, you know, can't develop these late round picks. And it's like, well, what team is good at developing sixth and seventh round picks? It's like, Kind of hard to have expectations for those types of guys. But um, I think going through each of the rounds, going through each of the picks makes sense. Um, So Christian Barmore, Patriots, uh, trade up to pick him, traded three picks for one pick. Um, So Patriots traded two of their fourth round picks, I believe, uh, to move up and take him at 38th. I'll be honest, I was kind of surprised that he fell out of the first round. I don't know if there are any concerns about him, to be honest, but I do know that when I watched him in the college football playoff, he was an, an absolute monster. Um, and he's a guy that definitely can command, you know, multiple offensive linemen to try to block him, you know, when he's at his best. Um, and this was a guy that I pinpointed for the Patriots for weeks and weeks, that this really would be a great pick. And they went and did it. And I think that I think that it's worth it. You know, I think that he's a guy that's really going to be an impact player. I think that, you know, out of all of their picks this year, I think he's going to be the guy that's probably going to make the most immediate impact. Whether it's a good impact, you know, kind of remains to be seen. You know, I just think that he'll probably get a decent amount of playing time. 
Um, he does have, you know, some guys in front of him on the depth chart, but, you know, Bill Belichick, he always likes to rotate in and out some uh, defensive linemen. So I think Barmore is probably the most likely guy to have an immediate impact. I think that their third round pick, Ronnie Perkins, is also one of those guys that could have an immediate impact. Uh, this was a little bit of a surprise. I didn't think the Patriots were necessarily looking after, you know, an edge an edge rusher type of player. Um, but in my opinion, and I wrote this in the article, this was um, a case of the best player available, that Perkins was the best guy available at 96th overall, and the Patriots were like, we're not going to let this guy go, um, and made a great pick. I think he's a guy like Barmore that could make an immediate impact. Um, he is behind some guys on the depth chart, you know, when you think about um, Kyle Van Noy, Matt Judon, um, but I still think that he could make somewhat of an impact. Kind of remains to be seen what kind of impact that he'll make. Um, but I really like that they went defense and they went front seven. The Patriots really loading up at that spot um, after really struggling to stop the run last year and struggle to get to the quarterback. Um, but I think that they've drastically improved in both of those areas. So I really think that you know, running on this team is going to be a lot harder than it was last year. And I think the Patriots, you know, now the type of defense they're going to be, or there won't be as much pressure on the secondary to defend the pass. You know, I think that oftentimes when you have a team that can run all over you, you know, then they can run play action and they can, you know, take advantage of, of your secondary. So really like the first two picks, the fourth round pick, Ramondre Stevenson, um, also from Oklahoma. So Patriots went, uh, teammates with their first four picks, Jones and Barmore, obviously together at Alabama, and then Perkins and Stevens um, at Oklahoma. Stevens was, I think to some people, was a bit of a surprise, but, you know, with the Patriots declining Sonny Michelle's fifth-year option um, next season and James White's on a one-year deal, this this draft pick kind of made, made sense. Um, you know, if you saw Stevenson like I did... Um, Watching some of the the clips when you know ESPN announced the draft pick and you see him running, I could have sworn that I was watching Legarrette Blunt. Um, very similar kind of big body guy, um, but it seems like he's quicker, you know, and has some really good kind of short area quickness that the Patriots like. But I really think that he's a guy that gives you kind of a goal line type of back that you can just put in. He can you know go over the top or he can just follow David Andrews, follow one of the guards right in, um, and really hard to bring down. So I like this pick. I don't think that he's going to play very much this season. You know, I really think this is going to end up kind of being like Damian Harris a couple years ago, where they drafted him third or fourth round, barely played. Um, I think unless there's an injury, don't expect to see Stevenson on the on the field much on the offensive side. Very well he could play on special teams. Um, I think that that's a possibility um, for the Patriots in the fifth round. Patriots take uh, Cameron McGrone from Michigan. Michigan linebacker, again, third straight year Patriots have taken a Michigan linebacker, Uche, last year, and then Chase Winovich uh, two years ago. So kind of an interesting pick here. McGrone uh, suffered an ACL injury toward the end of last regular season for Michigan um, in the fall. So... I don't know what his timeline could possibly be. I really have would have a hard time believing that he would be able to play this season. Um, but if by some chance he can, it'll be interesting to see. I think that you'd see him on special teams 
if he is able to come back at all. Um, highly recruited out of high school, um, so there's definitely some talent there, but you know, a guy that I think probably you will not see um, at all this season, I'd be very surprised, but definitely um, keep updates on, or look out for updates about how he's doing, you know, injury-wise. But I like the pick. I think that it's a a pick going on um, kind of potential, um, and I, I, I like the pick. You know, I think that it's a solid pick. You know, could they have gone to get a wide receiver? You know, maybe. Um, kind of talk about the wide receiver issue further in a minute, but Patriots then with two picks in the sixth round take Joshua Bloodsoe from Missouri, who's a safety. Uh, played a lot of games at Missouri. Was a four-year four-year player um, and did not miss many games. So you know, really key durability. Her durability is a key, I think, at the safety position. So good on him that he's played, you know, a lot of snaps. So. He's another guy I think could see some special teams time, um, unless there's an injury. I don't wouldn't expect that he sees a lot of time, you know, on the defensive side of the ball. But definitely could be a special teams guy, um, and I'll be honest, has some great special teams guys to uh, to learn from. So um, then Will Sherman, offensive lineman, um, can play both tackles, has some experience playing center. So you know he's a guy that could surprise some people in getting a good amount of playing time as a sixth-round pick, Patriots had. Uh, Justin Heron, I think he was a sixth-round pick last year. Or no, no, it's Owenu. That's who I'm thinking of. He was a rookie last year um, and played a lot for them. So Sherman could be that type of player. Um, but I think good for the Patriots to get offensive line. You know that there's no way that they're going um, to go an entire draft without taking an offensive lineman. Um, and then Trey Nixon, the final pick, um, in the seventh round, this was uh, Ernie Adams' uh, last pick, or kind of you know. So he's he's retiring, and or this is going to be his last draft. So he personally makes this pick uh, to get Trey Nixon from UCF. Now, Nixon is interesting because a lot of people would say, "Oh, seventh round pick," you know, probably won't do anything. But it was interesting. There's some people that thought he would be a fifth round pick. Um, and is very quick, is that great short area quickness that the Patriots like. And I really think that, you know, if there is someone that makes a surprise at training camp, it might be him. You know, I think that um, he could be a late round steal and possibly could get on the field um, this season. You know, I think a lot of things would have to go right for him. Um, Probably there would need to be an injury or two, which is not ideal. I don't think we want that. But, you know, could potentially see him on the field um, at some point. He'll definitely be on the field a lot in the preseason. You know, a lot of these guys, almost all these guys, are probably going to see good time in the preseason. Um, I'm going to be very curious to see what the Patriots do in the preseason with the quarterback position, how much they let Mac Jones play. Um, I would imagine that he plays a lot. You know, Cam probably plays that third game because typically the starters will play in that third game. Um, but I'll be curious to see how much time Jones gets, how much time Stidham gets, how both of them look, you know, in training camp. I think definitely pay attention um, to how the both of them look in, in training camp in the preseason. Um, so I think the rest of the NFL, you know, taking a look at the other uh, teams that I thought, you know, did decently well in the draft. Um not the sexiest draft by any means with the Detroit Lions. 
Um, but I thought that they honestly had a decent draft. Um, didn't really do anything crazy, like didn't draft. I don't think that they drafted any skill position players. Or actually, yes, they did. I'm sorry. They drafted uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, then also drafted a running back in the seventh round. But I thought that their first couple picks uh, were really solid, getting the defensive line. Uh, Penny Sewell dropped to them at seven. Really solid offensive lineman. Um, I thought that they had a. I thought that they had a pretty solid draft. Uh, the Houston Texans had an, a very interesting draft. I don't know if I would necessarily call it a good draft. Um, obviously, with the whole Deshaun Watson situation, um, you know they go take Davis Mills out of out of um, Stanford. And then they take uh, Nico Collins and Brevin Jordan, getting a couple of playmakers um, in the third and fifth round. Um, they did not have a lot of picks. They actually only had five picks because they um, obviously have traded a lot of picks. Um, and obviously, you know, I don't know what happens with Deshaun Watson. Do they end up trading him? What ends up happening? But yeah, they're a team that really needs to get draft picks back. Um, I also thought Jacksonville, and I know this is kind of a cop-out looking at them because they had the first pick. Um, but I really thought that they actually had a really good draft, you know, obviously getting Lawrence, getting Travis Etienne, that I think that they can put all over the field, um, and really could be a difference maker, could probably return kicks, probably could return punts, you know, you could see him all over the field, and obviously with Urban Meyer being the coach, he's a college guy, so really don't be surprised if he puts Etienne in a number of different spots. Um, they also got Tyson Campbell, the first pick in the second round, um, and also got Walker Little, offensive lineman from Stanford, also in the second round. Um, so I think that, you know, it's going to be interesting for the Jacksonville. For Jacksonville. Um, I think that they might not be half bad this year. I'm very curious to see if they get picked uh, to be on hard knocks. There's some, there was someone that said on Twitter, oh, maybe the Patriots will be on it. Never in a million years will the Patriots be on hard knocks. They will not be on hard knocks with Bill Belichick as the coach. Absolutely no way. Um, but, you know, this year honestly might be the year to do it. It might be really interesting, but there's no way Bill Belichick would allow that. Absolutely would not give any teams, you know, any type of film to be able to see what they're doing. So definitely do not expect to see that. But Jacksonville is definitely a team that you could see back Um or is definitely a team that you could see on Hard Knocks. I actually don't know if they've ever been on Hard Knocks. Um, so I think taking a look at the rest of the NFL, taking a look at storylines, obviously the big one is um, Aaron Rodgers. You know, that story honestly kind of dominated draft weekend. As crazy as that sounds, I mean, as crazy as that sounds, the draft literally is the biggest event in the NFL's year. I mean, other obviously other than the Super Bowl, but... You know, the whole news about Aaron Rodgers totally just bogarted the entire draft. Um, and it's it's interesting because, you know, I think that there's definitely a little bit of blame on both sides. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers is probably pretty dug in. And, you know, the Packers are pretty dug in that they're not trading him. Um, so I think, you know, I don't think that it's going to be solved anytime soon. I don't think anything's really going to change. Um, as far as a team that could trade for him, the, the, the Raiders. I mean, it's just like, out of any team that would make a crazy move like that, it would be the Raiders. You know, so 
I think look for them to possibly make a trade for Aaron Rodgers, but I don't think it's imminent. You know, I don't think it happens anytime soon. You know, it is kind of crazy because this is not really the best time to have, you know, an issue with your star quarterback. You know, the Packers probably have dug themselves into this hole, um, you know, not giving Rodgers a ton of weapons over the years and, you know, drafting Jordan Love a couple years ago. And, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's just a strange situation. Um, now, you know, I just, yeah, I think it's just not, it's not great timing because you are getting close to, you know, you, well, you're not, you're not really close to training camp, but it's, you know, two months away. And it's like, if this continues, you know, I really don't know what's going to happen um, with the Packers. So, you know, I don't expect a resolution to come at any time. I don't expect a resolution to come anytime soon. Um, the Lions have also been in the news. They uh, release their former second round pick, carry uh, on Johnson. I think that was yesterday. And then they also signed, they also signed um, Frank Ragnow to a new extension through 2026. Um, so he's their offensive lineman. Uh, there is their center, one of their offensive linemen. Um, to the Lions in the news a little bit. So, you know, I think that probably does it for for NFL talking about the draft. Um, if you want to know anything else, um, you can go read my article that I posted. If you want to find out more about the Patriots picks. Um, so that, that probably does it for, for NFL. Um, if you want any further kind of NFL stuff, you can always, uh, DM me on Twitter, message me on Facebook, whatever you want. Um, so moving on to the NHL, we'll get to Tom Wilson. Trust me, we'll get to it. I know that everyone is probably dying for, for me to talk about it. Well, you kind of probably know how, how I feel. You probably know about what I'm going to say, but let's, um, put that on the, Put that uh, off to the side just for the moment. We'll talk about the Bruins. Uh, they are back in the playoffs. Bruce Cassidy getting the Bruins into the playoffs for the fifth straight year. Um, has been their head coach for you know four and a half years. Has gotten them to the playoffs in each of the five years that he's been the head coach. Um, so it's just it's great stability that the Bruins have. And I know that we all kind of forget about this, but I think that we're we're very lucky that, um, that Bruce Cassidy has done such a tremendous job, you know, won a lot of games, you know, really not coming in and doing anything crazy different, just kind of tweaking things. And it's really worked. Um, so I think it's just, it's just outstanding, you know, when you consider where this team was five years ago, when you consider that this team, you know, missed the playoffs two years in a row and um, they kind of were verging on missing the playoffs again and you know things really did were not looking great um, for the franchise but you know Cassidy comes in and the rest is history as they say president's trophy Stanley Cup final appearance um, he's done a tremendous job um, with the Bruins so Bruins with the uh, clinching win against the Devils the other night three to nothing they did lose on Tuesday night in overtime um, but the important thing is Bruins are in the playoffs and they can treat the next few games However, they want. We'll get to that actually in a moment. But I think, in terms of looking at their playoff lineup and you know what to kind of expect, I mean, I think that you know based on how well Taylor Hall has played with David Krejci and Craig Smith, you know that line has solidified themselves as really a bona fide scoring line. You know, and you forget that the Bruins. Well, no, I shouldn't say it like that. But the Bruins have two 
you know, really good scoring lines, two lines that can hurt you in a variety of different ways. And the great thing about Taylor Hall and, you know, obviously we want to talk about the goal scoring. We want to talk about how much of a cerebral player he is. He's been unbelievable playing defensive hockey. And I know that, you know, there are some people that don't like it that the Bruins, you know, still have a system that kind of does emphasize guys being able to, to back check and play good defense. But that's not something that's lost on Taylor Hall. You know, every game that I have seen him play, he has made at least one or two very good defensive plays. Uh, there was one play, I think it was Monday night, where he jumps in and stops a two-on-one. You know, and that's just skating hard. That's skating hard, getting back. And I don't think that that, that goes unnoticed on the Bruins bench. So, you know, he's done a tremendous job. I think that those first two lines really, there does not need to be any discussion about whether it should be any different. You know, injuries obviously can change that, but um, I think bearing any sort of injury, those are going to be your top two lines. Um, and then as far as the bottom six, I mean, I think that the Bruins very well could kind of look at these next four games as kind of an internal comp- an internal competition about, you know, jobs that may or may not be up for grabs, you know, before the playoffs start. So uh, Charlie Coyle did leave Tuesday night's game with an injury. I don't believe he played in the third period. Bruins are saying that he's day-to-day, so uh, not much of a concern there, but I think most likely, you know, he has a spot in that third line. I think Nick Ritchie probably does too, um, just considering how well he's played. Um, And, you know, things kind of get interesting from there because the Bruins have actually moved Charlie Coyle to the wing the last couple games, and Sean Corrali has been the center, and that third line has actually been one of their better lines. You know, they've done a really good job getting scoring chances, playing with a lot of urgency. It's just like, you know, Fluto Shinzawa tweeted this the other day that it's wild. Corrali plays better as a third-line center than he does a fourth-line center. It's almost absurd. And, you know, I know that there's some people that, really want Coyle to stay at center, you know, and that's where he's most effective. And honestly, I tend to agree. But I think when you look at Charlie's season and how much he has struggled uh, to score and put shots on goal, you know, what better way to put him, what better way than to try to get his scoring game going is to put him on the wing. You know, try to get him to simplify his game and get more pucks on goal. Get more pucks on goal. Did He did score a goal last week. So, you know, I think... There, there's benefits, and I, I think there's there's benefits to moving him to the wing. I think as far as when the playoffs start, I don't think that he's going to be on the wing. You know, I think as much as that third line's been really solid, you you need I think you need your your best players at their best position, if if that makes sense. You want to put players in the best position that they can to succeed. Um, so that's what I think the third line should look like. You know, I think that it should be Richie and Coyle. I don't really like Corrali playing on his off wing, um, but I think that the Bruins have to are going to have to make at least one tough decision in the bottom six that someone's going to need to play their off wing, and someone's going to have to do it, and it and it sucks. But you know, I think that again, you know, someone's just got to do it. So um, I think, in my personal opinion, I think that the Bruins probably keep that third line together. Um, as much as maybe that's not ideal, you know, and, and this is just my opinion. This is not to say that this is exactly what they're going to do. Um, I think on the fourth line, you know, it's, 
probably between Jake DeBrusque and, and um, Trent Frederick, you know, for that fourth line left wing. And I think that, honestly, you know, it might come down to a decision whether you play DeBrusque on the fourth line or you play him on the third line, you know. And I think that there are a lot of people, including myself, that think that he doesn't perform as well when he has to play the right wing. But on the other hand, you know, I, I don't know, has he really earned the ice time, you know? And I know that, I know that that sounds bad. And I know that, you know, I've kind of been on him for a very long time that he needs to play with more consistency and more compete. Um, it just is like the Bruins need him to play like that. And his time is running out here. His time is absolutely running out. I think that unless he puts together a really good playoff run and he performs at the level the Bruins want him to, that he very well could be traded. Um, it's just, it's getting to a point where it's just, it, he doesn't really give you anything. And, you know, are there, are, is there something going on in his life? You know, who knows? Is there something going on? Is he, you know, having a hard time staying confident? You know, who knows? Um, but I think that, you know, there's, I think there's a benefit to having him on the fourth line. Um, because like Coyle, you know, it simplifies his game. You know, I thought that there was a game last week where he played with uh, Lazar and Carson Kuhlman, and they really had a really solid game. They had a lot of scoring chances, you know. I think a lot of that was due to Kuhlman and his speed, but, you know, I thought that that, that unit actually played really well together. Um, and I'll be honest, like, that's a unit that I want to see in the playoffs. Um, I think that if we're being honest, you know, you keep the top two lines. Um, you have that third line. You have Corrali play the right side. It's not ideal, but... You know, do you have him and Coyle just kind of, you know, I don't know if like switch off positions makes sense, but like maybe you go into the playoffs with Coyle on the wing, you know, and then I just, yeah, I think that, you know, center and right wing, it's not really much of a difference for Charlie Coyle. I think just putting him at right wing just allows him to try to, you know, simplify his game. So I think that they could keep that line together exactly the way that it is. It won't be that way tonight with uh out, but I think going into game one, that's what you want that third line to be. Um, and I think the fourth line of DeBrusque, Lazar, and Carson Kuhlman, I think makes a lot of sense, you know, and then you have Trent Frederick and uh, Chris Wagner as kind of your extra forwards. Um, Wagner hasn't played uh, a lot recently. I kind of agree with that. I don't really think that he provides uh, a lot of value, but, you know, he's, he's an extra body in case someone goes down. Um, but I think that those are lines that you should be looking at. Um, and then as and then as far as best matchup for the Bruins, you know, I know that uh, this might sound crazy, but honestly, I think Pittsburgh might be the best matchup for them. Um, obviously, Pittsburgh's played really, really well recently, but, you know, you have two young goaltenders that haven't really seen the playoffs before. Uh, Tristan Jari has, I believe, one game played. Now, obviously... We all know that rookie goaltenders can sometimes, you know, get really hot. We saw it with Bennington two years ago. We saw it with Matt Murray on this Penguins team in 2016. So, you know, it's it's not something to be like, oh, I want to play the team with the most inexperienced goalie. I don't know if it necessarily works that way. Um, but I think that Pittsburgh, you know, in terms of the defense, I think the Bruins, you know, typically can do pretty well against them. Um in terms of playing against their D, you know, I think that that top line has played very, very well against them. 
Um, the Bruins are, you know, also five and three. They've gone five and three against Pittsburgh this year and have played really, really strong games against them. Um, obviously, Pittsburgh, you know what they can do offensively, you know how much talent that they can roll out. But I think looking at the Islanders and looking at their structured defensive play, you know, might be actually a better matchup for the Bruins. Um, I mean, I personally think that they match up the best against the Islanders. Is that the best team to play against? Who knows? Because the Islanders, you know, had the Bruins number this season. You know, um, Bruins with um, only two wins in regulation, or only two wins against the Islanders in seven tries this year. So, you know, I think Washington is a team that I would like to avoid for a couple of reasons. Um, You know, I think very, very talented scoring-wise. I think that they're a little bit deeper scoring-wise than Pittsburgh. Um, you know, obviously they're a decor that is, you know, pretty solid. You know, the drawback is the goaltending. It's not as experienced, you know, and then you have the, the factor that, you know, it's the elephant in the room, but it's, it's, it's Mr. Wilson. It's the way that he plays and the way that kind of that team plays that it would be, the Bruins would be hard pressed to be able to make it out of that series unscathed, you know, and I mean that they would have a hard time making it out of that series without someone getting hurt. Um, and you know, let's be real. That's what it's going to be. You know, if, if they play the Washington Capitals in the playoffs, that is going to happen. I just think we, we know that that's going to happen. So I think from my perspective, I'd like to avoid them as much as you can, um, and play a Pittsburgh and the Islanders. We'll take a look at the standings in a moment to see, you know, where exactly the Bruins are. Um, so I think in terms of, watching the next four games and, you know, trying to figure out what's going to happen. I mean, I think it's, as I said, you might see some internal competition for that third and fourth line, you know, that maybe there are spots that are up for grabs, you know, pretty sure that, you know, Nick Ritchie probably has his role nailed down. Charlie Coyle probably does too. Um, I think Lazar probably does too um, in terms of, you know, where they should be in the lineup. You know, I think Richie has nailed down that third line left wing. I think that he should stay there. Um, Coyle, I think you could either put him at center or right wing on the third line. Um, and I think that Corrali, you know, probably has earned a spot in that area. Um, but I think the Bruins probably still want to try to figure out who's going to be their go-to guys in the fourth line. You know, is it going to be Lazar? I tend to think that it will be. Um, you know, will Kuhlman get in there? Will Wagner get in there for some games? Did the Bruins throw... You know, Trent Frederick in there, Jake DeBrusque, Anton Bleed, you know, really could be any of those guys. Um, I think that tonight you see Jake DeBrusque on his off wing, which is not ideal to some people, but I think that, you know, someone's going to have to play their off wing. And it's just going to be, it's going to be what it's going to be. And, you know, you hope whoever is there in that position brings their, brings their compete level. I will just say that I know that, you know, playing on your off wing is a lot harder than people think it is. It's probably harder than I think it is. But at the same time, being in a different position should not affect the way that you play. It shouldn't compact, it shouldn't affect your compete factor. You still you still should be competing and trying to get scoring chances. And I know that it's not ideal, but it's like, I'm sorry, you're in the NHL. You are getting into games that are playoff games. You kind of need to be able to play and compete at the same level you would be if you were playing the wing that you're you're accustomed to. You know, it's just, I know that the off-wing thing is legit, but it's just like it shouldn't affect the, the, the way that you compete. Um, 
And then I think as far as, you know, the goaltending, I think that Rask probably gets two of these games, um, two of these last four. You know, curious to see what Swayman does, what Halak does. Halak obviously was not pleased with uh, the overtime goal the other night with from the Devils, uh, as you saw his reaction. Um, you know, I think, again, backup goaltender probably doesn't matter very much in the playoffs, um, but it will matter if the NHL you know, goes with a compressed schedule and they have like back-to-back games and things like that to, you know, have the schedule try to be finished by the time the Olympics start. Now, if that's the case, that's going to be really, really stupid. And, you know, they really shouldn't do it that way. But if by some off chance that they do, you know, then the backup goaltender position kind of does become important because that player might get some, some looks. So, you know, I don't expect that to happen. I think I'd be shocked if that happened. But, you know, I think if you're going into the playoffs, the playoffs are set up the way that they normally are with off days and all that. Rask should be your guy, and he should be your guy unless he gets hurt. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, the backup goaltender is kind of a moot point um, for uh, Swayman and Holak. Um, and then I think you will see some guys get rest. You know, I know that Coyle is out tonight with an injury, but... Something tells me that the Bruins, you know, probably took him out of that game the other night and were like, okay, we're not going to take any chances. Um, but yeah, you should not be surprised to see Bergeron, uh, Marchand, Pasternak, uh, David Krejci, um, maybe Craig Smith, you know, have some games off, you know, McAvoy maybe, but I feel like that's probably less likely. I think that you're going to want to see, you know, the deep hairs you know, try to kind of solidify what the pairs are going to be. Um, and they're probably going to play, you know, regular minutes. So don't expect McAvoy or Grizzlick or Carlo to, like, have any games off. You know, if someone gets games off, it, it's going to be Kevin Miller, who's actually done a pretty good job of, you know, being in the lineup and staying healthy. You know, has he been amazing? Has he been perfect? You know, no, probably not. But, you know, I think that he definitely is going to be a regular in the lineup. Um, and I think that... Kind of just my last point on the Bruins and their kind of lineup before the playoffs is McAvoy and Grizzly. Now, you know, the Bruins have played the two of them together at various points. And they thought that, you know, with adding Mike Riley and adding his kind of puck moving ability that, you know, it would allow the Bruins to play Grizzly and McAvoy together on that top pair. Um, That's not what's happened recently. Uh, Jeremy Lozon is now back to playing top pair minutes with a with McAvoy, with Carlo back. Now, I know that some people, you know, have a real problem with that, but I do think that it makes sense to an extent that you want to try to, you know, spread out your good defensemen in the lineup so that you are as good as possible, you know, one through six, that you don't want to, you know, put your top two guys on one pair so that, you know, the rest of the guys, you kind of don't know what you're going to get. Um, and I think that that's probably what's happening. But, you know, I think personally I'd like to see Grizzlick and McAvoy together on that first pair. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think more than likely you're going to see Grizzlick play uh, with Brandon Carlo. But, you know, then again, that has Mike Riley on your, on your third pair. That actually does make you, you know, pretty good up and down one to six. You know, if Mike Riley is essentially your fifth defenseman or, or whatever it's going to be, um, and he plays with Kevin Miller or Connor Clifton, um, but I think the Bruins are in a good spot with the defensemen, with the depth that they have. You know, now with now with Carlo back, he looked really good on Tuesday. Um, and so, you know, now you have this 
this six that I think it's going to be Lausanne, McAvoy, um, Grizzly, Carlo, uh, Riley, and then Miller. And then the extra guys you'll have will be Zaboral, Camphor, uh, Connor Clifton, and um, Jared Tenorti, most likely. I wouldn't expect that Tenorti sees much time, but, you know, again, that's 10 guys right there. And that's, you know, pretty deep. I think the Bruins have done a pretty good job kind of building up the rest of that decor that they have a number of guys that can go in for a game or two, you know, should an injury arise, which they will. Um, so I think that that's probably my last Bruins point. Bruins will play tonight against the Rangers. They have a pair of games um, at the Garden against New York. Um, and then they have, I believe that they have one more home game um, against the it's either the Capitals or the Islanders. I'll have to look at the schedule. Um, yes, yeah, so it is the Islanders. So the Bruins will have three games at home. Rangers tonight, Rangers Saturday afternoon, and then the Islanders on Monday afternoon, or excuse me, Monday night, and then they will close the season next Tuesday um, in Washington. So you will see the seventh player award probably be awarded on Saturday. You'll see the shirts off their backs, which is always a really fun thing to watch. Um, as each fan kind of gets a jersey from a from um, a player on the team, so that will be kind of interesting to see. It's always kind of a fun thing to see. Um, so we obviously will take a look at the standings, but obviously we need to talk about probably the biggest story in the NHL right now, and you know possibly one of the bigger stories in sports right now um, is Tom Wilson, and yeah, he was up to his usual tricks on. I think it was Monday night. So obviously when I'm watching Bruins games, you know, I'm watching Bruins games and I'm not watching anything else. I don't really pay attention to anything else. So, you know, I hear on the broadcast, you know, Jack Edwards say something like, oh, you know, Tom Wilson's gotten himself into trouble again. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, what, what the hell has happened? And I go upstairs and look at my phone, you know, go on Twitter and yeah, there's a, a massive brawl and you know if you want to know more about that you can just go watch the video it's uh, pretty crazy it's kind of a I think it was toward the end of the second period um, I didn't know kind of the full context of the play but it was something like uh, Pavel Buchnevich is you know on the ice you know fighting for a loose puck that you know may or may not be loose and you see guys do that all the time obviously there are some people that take exception to that and that's fair because they want to protect their goalie so you know, I'm not going to break down shot for shot exactly what happened, but, you know, Tom Wilson gets on top of him. You know, I didn't see whether he threw a punch or not, but then obviously you see him um, essentially ragdoll Artemi Panarin and throw him on the ice. And Tom Wilson's very lucky that uh, Panarin's head did not hit the ice and obviously didn't have his helmet on. And it was really dangerous. And it's just his like, you watch that play and you're like, what the hell am I watching? Is this WWE or the NHL? And, um, you know, if you want to get into specifics about, oh, well, you know, technically he had his glove underneath Panarin's head or, you know, he didn't really do anything that crazy. It's just like, that's not the point. Um, the point is this guy is putting other players in danger. Um, and it happens to, it happened to be a superstar player and, um, I don't know. I think the NHL should do a better job at protecting their players um, and be doing a better job of policing the league because clearly the players can't do it. Um, 
because clearly you have players out there like Tom Wilson that just doesn't respect his opponents. You know, really does not ex- does not respect the code of conduct for, with the NHL, and you know the, the league has a tremendous opportunity to send a message. And then again, they don't do anything, and the worst that he gets is a five thousand dollar fine. And it just it's such a dangerous threshold. You know, it's just you are allowing that to you know that type of play to be able to happen and. You know, you saw it last night. There were, you know, that whole line brawl a second into the game. You know, it's just like you have made this game so dangerous because you have allowed this behavior to continue. And it just, it it blows my mind that he is still allowed to play hockey and he's still allowed to compete in the NHL. And it's just like, if that's that's the message that the NHL is going to send that, okay, that is okay that you can essentially do that, do exactly what he did, and you will not be suspended. A fine is nothing. Tom Wilson makes more than 5000 a game. It's not really a, it's not even, it's, it's, not, it's not a money thing. You know, it's just like, fine. You know what? If, if, that, if that's the message that we are sending, then Kevin Miller should be able to do exactly what Tom Wilson did, and he should be able to do that to Nick Backstrom. And it's just like, if that's what happens... That's what happens. But the NHL has sent this message that, okay, that's not a suspendable offense. You can pretty much do whatever you want on the ice. And now, while it's not the same thing as a blindside hit, it's not the same thing as, you know, hitting someone from behind. Well, you know, Tom Wilson's done that before. He's no stranger to that. Um, It just is the NHL has bungled another player safety situation and they now have a thing that's blown out of proportion. And, you know, whether you agree or not about the Rangers' statement, you know, I think is beside the point. Whether you think that they are, you know, crying about it, like, oh, like, get over it. You know, it just, it, it, it doesn't surprise me that they went after George Peros, who really doesn't know what he's doing. I really don't think he knows what he's doing at all. And, you know, as a former... Wilson-type player, I will say that, it doesn't surprise me that he probably watches that and thinks that it's okay. And it just is like, we are sending this message that dangerous stuff like that is okay. You know, it just, the NHL is asking for this to get worse. They are asking for a Todd Bertuzzi-type situation. Now, if you don't know what, if you don't know that reference, go look it up on YouTube. You can search Todd Bertuzzi, Steve Moore, and Todd Bertuzzi sucker punched him multiple times, drove his head into the ice, and, you know, got almost a, a season-long suspension, if I'm not mistaken. Now, I think the NHL is not too far from that. You know, God forbid Tom Wilson does that to someone, and, you know, the league is just throws up their arms like, oh, well, didn't, didn't think that this was going to happen. Well, no, you did. You know... You see all the you see all this behavior, you know the same type of thing that you see from guys that just it's, just, it's I like I don't really know where else to go. And the fact that the NHL comes out today and finds the Rangers for coming out and you know publicly criticizing George Peros, it's an absolute joke that you're going to find a team because they kind of question whether. You know, he's really doing the best job. And 
you know, the league says that it's not right to question his, or it's unfair to question his professionalism. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it totally is fair. Because you totally disregard player safety. You totally disregard keeping guys safe. And that's the name of the game. The name of the game is to keep guys safe. The name of the game is to keep the best players on the ice. The name of the game is not to go on a WWE, like, spree where you, like, try to intentionally injure people. And that's the that's the frustrating part about this, is there are some people out there that are like, oh, you know, this is great for the game, you know, the NHL is being talked about. And it's like, really? Like, that's what we're going to say? We're going to say that it's good for the game? That Tom Wilson is out, you know, injuring guys and doing it on purpose? You know, like, this is a league that's going to be on ESPN next year. Are we really going to say that we're okay with this? Are we really going to say that this is okay? That, you know, oh, you know, this is part of the game, you know? It's just, it, it goes back to the people that are just like, oh, like, please, please like my sport. You know, and it just, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just being crazy, but it just is like, it's frustrating because I think, unfortunately, we're going to have to address the elephant in the room that something really, really bad is going to come out of this. That one of two things, Tom Wilson, you know, will really intentionally injure someone and it's going to be a lot worse than what we saw the other night, you know, that he is going to end someone's career or, or worse, God forbid, you know, it's either that or someone is going to do that to Tom Wilson. Someone is going to do what Sean Thornton did to Brooks Orpik a number of years ago. You know, someone's going to do something like that to him. And, you know, the league's going to come down with the hammer and give that player, you know, a suspension for the rest of the playoffs or whatever it is. And the league will throw up their hands, be like, oh, well, you know, didn't see this coming, you know, and it just, that's one of two ways this is going to end unless he gets, you know, banned from the rest of, he gets banned for, for life, which really the NHL is running out of options. They're running out of options to like keep him, just keep him in this league and say that it's still okay for him to play. So um, it's just, it's so stupid. It's just the NHL just doesn't care about player safety. They care more about, you know, what I just said. Oh, you know, we're moving the needle with the game that everyone's talking about it. And it's like, really? Like, that's that's good for the game? We're going to say that that's good for the game. That's just dumb. Um, so, obviously, the Rangers continued to kind of be in the news yesterday uh, with kind of the surprising firing of um, John Davidson and Jeff Gordon to... Um, higher-ups in their front office. I think David's in the GM and Gordon, the hockey ops guy, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Eric can, Eric Bellia can correct me if I was wrong on that, but um, kind of a shocking move. The Rangers, you know, obviously have been in a rebuild for a couple years and, you know, seemed like they were getting somewhere this year. Now, you know, maybe to some people they thought that they should have been better this year than they were. Um, but I think that, you know, this season they weren't able to get out from under a bad start um, and they started playing great hockey, but just, you know, couldn't dig themselves out of that big hole. But I don't know. It just seemed kind of surprising and kind of like reactionary. I don't think it has anything to do with the Tom Wilson situation. I know some people might think it does because the timing is incredibly suspect. But, you know, no, I don't think it's kind of... Um, it's kind of, you know, just kind of a weird situation that I think 
you know, James Dolan, the, the Knicks and Rangers owner, you know, probably made this decision that he thinks that they should be, you know, closer to winning a championship than they are. But it just seems like they kind of still are in a rebuild. You know, they obviously performed very, very well for, you know, points this season, but it just it just is a very, very strange move. So it sounds like uh, Chris Drury will take over um, running that team. So, you know, things definitely will be interesting for this team um, this offseason. But that just was a crazy kind of bombshell. Um, and then um, other kind of news around the league. David Backus last night played probably his final game in the NHL. Really, um, really a kind of tear-jerking moment as he gave an interview with um, Darren Pang after the game. If you haven't seen it, just go look on Twitter. Um, but, you know, just a, a tremendous career for David and, you know, someone that I've always respected watching, watching the game of hockey. And yeah, I'll go to my grave being very upset that the Bruins were not able to give him a championship two years ago. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. He's a guy that was a warrior, a really good guy, you know, played the game the right way and, you know, was a very, very great very good player and a, a person that everyone respected and, um, you know, someone that you wish did better in terms of, you know, championships and things like that. But, you know, a tremendous career, 15 years. So um, hats off to hats off to David Backus. Um, also was the final game for Ryan Miller's career earlier in the week. Um, he retires as the winningest goaltender in American history, American hockey history. Um, so another another really good guy, another guy that uh, very well respected around the league. So finished um, his career. So two guys finishing their career um, in Anaheim. So I did want to make one last point about Tom Wilson and the thing I just said, you know, with David Backus and Ryan Miller, that they're two guys that really are well respected by their peers and really well respected by not just teammates, not just teammates that have played with them with them at any point in their career, but just guys that, that played against them and really respected them. And the frustrating, the most frustrating thing about this Tom Wilson thing, and it's just the, the lack of respect that he has shown for other members of this league. And I understand that this league is not, you know, easy because guys are... You know, guys get really, really testy and things like that. But it just is like these types of plays and these types of actions just lack respect for, you know, your fellow players. And a couple of Rangers players, you know, said that after the game on Monday. And it just is like at, at what point, you know, is the NHL actually going to step up and do something? And at what point is it going to be too late? At what point is Tom Wilson going to end someone's career and put them down like Mark Savard? Is he going to end someone's career so badly that the person literally dies? You know, is it going to be that bad? You know, and it just is like the NHL is, is, it's getting close to that. It really is. It really is. And I think people don't really want to address it and don't want to think of, don't want to talk about the elephant in the room, but that is going to happen unless he is, you know, banned from the NHL, that is going to happen. That he is going to hurt someone very, very badly. And there's not going to be any going back from that. And the NHL is going to be like, oh, well, we didn't see this coming. And it's like, yeah, you did. You just keep him in the game because it's 
for entertainment and it's it's hard for me to believe anything other anything otherwise that you are keeping this guy in the league purely for entertainment value that you think that you were pulling in casual fans because they want to see it like that because they want to see stuff like this and trust me they don't you want to pull in fans that are going to be casually watching the NHL next season on ESPN and TNT and TBS you keep your superstars on the ice you don't let some dirtbag try to take people off the ice and try to hurt them intentionally it's just absolute absolutely beyond me this league is just bungled yet another situation so uh, we'll take a look at the standings uh, for a moment we'll take a look at kind of some playoff spots I think almost every playoff spot has been taken we're pretty sure that um, kind of I'm pretty sure we know the teams that will be in the playoffs so uh, we'll take a quick look at the central division as the um, everyone's coming down to finishing their third season at 56 games. So uh, where we stand right now in the central, we have Carolina atop the central, up four points on Tampa Bay with three games to play. Um, Florida has two games to play, and they are four points back at Carolina. So Carolina, Tampa Bay, and Florida, the three playoff teams in the central um, and then for that final playoff spot between Nashville and Dallas, Nashville is four points up with uh, two games to play, and then Dallas is four points back with three games to play. So possibility Dallas still gets in, um, but I think that Nashville most likely will take this last spot um, in the Central. Um, and then obviously, you know, for the rest of the division, it'll be interesting to see, does Carolina get that top spot? Um, and then if that's the case, you know, most likely you see Tampa Bay and Florida um, in the first round, which would be a really fun matchup. Um, and then in the West, you have Vegas, who has started to pull away a little bit. Uh, but Colorado still does have five games in hand, so there's a possibility that they could still catch Vegas. Vegas at 76 points with four games to go. Uh, Minnesota has four games to go. They're five points out of first, so not likely that they will catch Vegas. They might get home, home ice advantage. Um, in the first round against Colorado, assuming that that's how it shakes out. Um, and then St. Louis, I believe, I don't think that they have officially clinched um, because they still have five games left, but um, Arizona did get eliminated last night. Um, oh, it's it's L.A. that technically is still alive um, with five games left, and they're down, they're down eight points um, of St. Louis. So it seems extremely unlikely that L.A. is going to catch St. Louis. Um, St. Louis with 56 points, very, very well back of Minnesota in third place with 71 points. Um, Arizona gets eliminated last night. L.A. still technically alive, still mathematically um, alive. A couple notes on the Kings. You know, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Um, that I really respected the way that they played this season. That, you know, really did a great job getting in some of those young guys. And a lot of those old guys stuck around and... I think are great, you know, just consummate professionals uh, for those young guys to learn from, you know, and that includes Quentin Byfield and um, just some of the young players that they can be on the same team as an Andre Kopitar or Drew Doughty and really be able to kind of learn from them. And, you know, another note on Kopitar got his 1000th point last night. So kudos to him um, and a very, you know, season that I think obviously will probably not end with a playoff berth, but, you know, I think that L.A. was definitely an interesting team to follow, and Byfield's a guy that definitely you want to follow uh, the rest of his NHL career and see where it goes. Um, 
And then in the East, obviously, uh, Washington and Pittsburgh tied for first with 73 points, Bruins with 69, and uh, the Islanders with 68. The Bruins still with two games in hand on Pittsburgh, um, and they do have a tiebreaker against Pittsburgh, so that's important to know. Um, because the Bruins then, if they end up tied with Pittsburgh, then they would have the advantage, I believe. Or wait, actually, I think it might be another tiebreaker. But anyway, uh, Bruins obviously clinching the playoff spot could still technically win the division. Um, You know, I think that as far as, like, trying to figure out who you're going to play, I don't think that that really matters much to the Bruins. Like, I think internally they might want a team that, okay, we really want to match up against this team. Um, as of right now, the Bruins would be matched up against Pittsburgh, um, but obviously that could change in the next week. The Islanders, one point back of the Bruins. Bruins with one game in hand on the Islanders and the uh, Capitals and two in hand on Pittsburgh. So that will be kind of interesting to see if the Bruins end up anywhere other than uh, third or fourth. Maybe do they get up to second? Maybe do they even win the division? Um, who knows? In the north, you have Toronto... Edmonton and Winnipeg that have clinched playoff spots. Montreal seems to have their last playoff spot all but um, all but clinched. Uh, Calgary is mathematically still alive, as is Vancouver. Um, Vancouver's still, you know, tech, still mathematically alive, but it doesn't seem like, you know, they're going to make it, and Calgary almost certainly won't. So uh, things are interesting in the North because... It seemed like almost certain that Montreal was going to be that fourth spot, but Winnipeg has really struggled recently, um, and they were just two points ahead of Montreal. So um, things could possibly change in that division. I'd be very surprised. Um, and then obviously got Edmonton and the uh, McDavid 100 watch as uh, the season winds down, and you can see if uh, he can get to 100 points. I think that they have uh, four games left, and I think that he's at 93 points. So. A possibility that it gets to 100, which would be crazy. Um, and it actually is worth noting that the Canadians, <clears throat> you know, can clinch a playoff spot tonight. Um, and then, you know, for Nashville and Dallas, it will come down to probably um, the games maybe this weekend. Dallas has Tampa Bay uh, tomorrow, and Nashville <clears throat> does not play. So a big opportunity for Dallas is they will play the um, as they will play the Tampa Bay Lightning as they lost to them last night. Um, so that probably probably does it for um, NHL. Obviously, with the rest of the schedule, it's not going to be exactly super clean because uh, Vancouver still has nine games left to play, so they will be playing games um, after everyone else has finished. <clears throat> I do also believe that the West Division has some games that they need to get in. Um, it'll be kind of interesting to see, you know, how the NHL handles that um, with, you know, with 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 Calgary and Vancouver being out of the playoffs. Is it really important for the league to get those games in? I think that that's kind of going to be interesting. I think that the league probably still will go ahead and play these games, is there an outside possibility that they could say, okay, um, you know, we shouldn't be playing these games because they do not matter. Um, so I think that that will be interesting. 
to see what happens. So let's get to the NBA um, and talk about the Celtics. It's kind of been continuing to kind of be the same thing with this team. They have won three of their last four. Um, obviously had that win against Charlotte and then had the ridiculous comeback against the Spurs, um, showing you that, okay, maybe there is still something there that the Celtics can, you know, build from, you know, with that comeback going down 32 points. And um, to their credit, they did a great job of chipping chipping at the, chipping away at the lead um, and getting closer and closer, you know, it felt like one of those games that, okay, they spot a team, you know, a big lead and they, you know, come back and then, you know, can't, can't close it out. And that's kind of been the story for a lot of games this year, but the Celtics get closer and closer and, you know, Jason Tatum takes the game over Celtics go to overtime. And, you know, after all the dust settled Celtics win and Jason Tatum is 60 points tying Larry Bird's, uh, you know, record for most points in a, in a game by a Celtics player. So, um, really tremendous work by the Celtics in that game. And then obviously they come back and lose to the Trailblazers. They had a really nice win last night um, in Orlando as Kemba Walker scored 32 coming back from a four-game injury. Four-game injury absence. Um, also was a good game for Evan Fournier at 18 points. Um, his first game back in Orlando, and that actually is where I'm going to start talking about the Celtics, um, is Fournier really has started to get back into a rhythm and be able to be someone that um, can give the Celtics some consistent scoring. You know, he's been starting here and there. The Celtics have had um, some games without Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown uh, recently. So, you know, interesting to see him start and interesting to see you know, what he brings in, you know, as a guy that just is a really good spot-up shooter. Um, also displayed some great hustle in that Trailblazers game. Um, and I think as a guy that you can expect can come in and, you know, take some of the pressure off Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you know, when they're presently constituted, um, that, like, you know, everyone's healthy. Um, you know, Fournier is probably a guy that comes off the bench, but I think, you know, getting him some minutes with the starters, getting him some minutes with Kemba Walker... You know, has really been important. Obviously, we saw that last night. But, you know, I think that he's a guy that can give them, you know, 15 to 18 points, you know, every night and can give them kind of another scoring option. So um, it's good to see that he's playing well. You know, obviously, it was not ideal that he had to go into the COVID protocols and, you know, really has not felt like himself um, and hasn't felt like himself in the last couple games or the, his first games back from you know, coming off the list. But now the last couple games, he's played really well. Um, so it seems like he's starting to kind of get back to speed. Um, and it just has been an unfortunate season that, you know, the Celtics, much like every other team in the NBA, has not had an opportunity really to practice at any type of, you know, on, has, has not been able to practice on any type of consistent schedule. Um, that The Celtics have had a lot of trouble being able to practice because, you know, guys have been hurt, guys have been on the COVID list and things like that. So um, I think that for this team, you know, and I've said it many, many times, I don't really expect a lot from this team. But I think that, you know, if by some off chance the Celtics maybe just need the playoffs to come um, to get it together, you know, I think that they're a team that if they can get everyone fully healthy and get a fully healthy entire roster, that maybe, just maybe there's some hope 
you know, that they could go on a run. You know, it's not something that I'm going to expect, but I think that it's possible that the Celtics could be a team that just limps into the playoffs and they, you know, shock a Milwaukee in the first round. Um, you know, could the Celtics get into that 4-5 spot, win a first round series, and then, you know, do something crazy against a one seed? Um, you know, I think that that's still asking a lot, even if the Celtics do become, you know, fully healthy and play at the, the highest level that they can. It still might not be enough to beat beat the Nets or the Sixers, but um, I think that it's 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 good to see that Fournier is playing well. I think that he really gives them another added scoring element. Um, Aaron Neesmith's been getting some good minutes recently, and he's responded really well. Uh, didn't play a lot last night. You know, didn't really need to do anything crazy scoring wise um, last night as the Celtics, you know, took care of Orlando rather easily, but. Aaron's just a guy that competes, and I think that that's so awesome to see, especially from a rookie and kind of a decent high draft pick, that he's a guy that knows that his role is not guaranteed, that his spot is not guaranteed, and he plays hard every night, you know, flying in for rebounds and things like that. You know, he started to kind of get into a good shooting stroke and, you know, is a guy that I think really could make some big, you know, tough hustle plays in the playoffs because you need you know, big, big minutes from guys off the bench that can do, you know, the things that he does. Be really aggressive, get some rebounds, you know, be a good shooter. Obviously, the over-aggressiveness can lead to fouls, but, you know, he's a guy that has responded really well to his playing time. And, you know, I think that there are some people that are of the belief that, okay, you know, you draft a rookie 14th, you need to give him playing time. And, you know, I've said this before, the Celtics are not a team like, let's say Memphis, for example, or let's even say Minnesota, for example, a team that is, you know, one of the worst in the league, that they really have no options but to kind of play their young guys and just to have them play. And, you know, the Celtics are a team that they are a playoff team. They are a team that is a contending team in the in the sense that they are a playoff team, not that they're contending for a championship, but they are a contending team that's going to go to the playoffs. And, you know... Neesmith had to learn, had to earn his minutes. And I think that that concept is frustrating to some people because they think that, okay, you know, young rookie guy, you have to play your guys. But at a certain point, you know, players have to earn their minutes. And it doesn't even matter whether, you know, you're a rookie or not. You know, look at someone like Semi Ojale, who, you know, has not played consistent minutes recently, but the minutes that he's gotten are minutes that he's earned, you know, or. Jabari Parker or, you know, someone off the bench that doesn't often play, you know, someone like Tremont Waters. I don't necessarily think he's a good player, but there's something to be said for earning your minutes. And, you know, I don't think it really matters whether Neesmith is catching fire now versus if he was catching fire, if he was getting consistent playing time earlier in the season. It's not like it would have made a difference, but it's like, it's just good to see that the Celtics are, you know, getting some production out of a high draft pick and also got it out of Peyton Pritchard, too, who's had a great season. Um, but I just think that idea of you have to give your young guys playing time, you know, and it doesn't matter whether they earn it or not. I think that's kind of crazy that a player should be earning the playing time that they have and not just getting it just because they're a rookie. So um, I think, you know, for the Celtics and the playoffs, avoiding the play-in tournament, I think, is really huge for this team now. 
I don't think in the play-in tournament the Celtics are a team that you would want to play, just considering how much talent they can roll out there. But from a Celtics perspective, you don't want to play in the in the play-in because if the Celtics you know get the seven or the eight seed, you know, or you know somehow lose and miss the playoffs, um, you know, you're not looking at uh, uh, you're not looking at anything beyond losing in five or six games in the first round. You know, I don't believe that the Celtics can beat, you know, Milwaukee. Or I don't believe the Celtics can beat the Nets and the Sixers presently constituted. I don't think they can. I think they can make it interesting. They can make it close. You know, I tend to think that they match up better against Philadelphia. I still don't think that they'd be good enough to beat Philadelphia just based on what we've seen this season. Now, if the Celtics get into the playoffs and play really, really well, maybe they could beat the Sixers, but... It's, it's hard to expect that based on what you've seen this season. So I think that they need to avoid that play-in game, try to get that sixth spot, or possibly try to move up. I don't think they're going to move up as far as uh, the, the Knicks as they are two games behind them. But, you know, who knows? The Celtics do have a head-to-head against the Knicks, so, you know, possibility that they could get all the way up to fourth and maybe have home court advantage in the first round. I think they'd be hard-pressed to do that, but you never know. Um, and then the Celtics, obviously, with two key games against the Heat this weekend on uh, Sunday and then Tuesday. Those are going to be huge. Um, the Celtics already have a tiebreaker against the Heat based on their one win earlier. So the Celtics, really, all they have to do is win one of those Heat games. Obviously, it would be great if they could win both because they need all the wins that they can get at this point. Um, but I think that, you know, avoiding the play in tournament, I think, is really huge. I really think the Celtics should not want to play in that because, you know, you could face a Washington team that very well could beat you. You could play an Indiana team that very well could beat you. I know that there's a lot flying around about their their head coach, um, and so there'd be concerns about whether they're motivated, but the Celtics would be playing against some highly motivated teams um, and teams that they are better than, but if they're not careful, they could lose. So I think I'd just like to avoid it altogether, and the Celtics focus on playing a first-round series against... Milwaukee in Atlanta or in New York or something like that, where I think if you're playing in that four or five spot, you definitely could win a first round series. Um, I know that the Knicks have been really good this year. I know that the Hawks have been too, but the Celtics are better than both of those teams. If they play them in the seven game series, they should be able to win that series. Um, So, you know, I mentioned the key games. I think it makes sense to probably look at the rest of their schedule, but um, they do have a kind of a difficult game against the Chicago Bulls um, on Friday as they play um, a Bulls team that is getting Zach Levine back. Um, and, you know, Vucevic has is, is fit in seamlessly in Chicago. He's had a really good, really good start to his Bulls career. Uh, so the Celtics play in Chicago on Friday. Then they have two games against Miami Sunday and Tuesday. And those are huge games. The Celtics really need to get as many wins as they can get, and then they close out the season with three road games in Cleveland, in Minnesota, and then in New York. You know, that final regular season game could have some implications um, for the Celtics, so definitely keep your eye on that, and obviously we'll keep you updated as we get late in the season for the Celtics. So uh, taking a look around the rest of the NBA, I think that that probably makes sense. Um We'll take a look at the standings and kind of see what is going on there. Um, And then obviously I mentioned that Coach Bjorkren 
um, with the Pacers, his status is kind of uncertain that there were some rumors um, that he might be, you know, already kind of on the outs with some of his players, even though they just hired him um, this season. There was also, I think I had seen something about Budenholzer that the Bucks probably are going to fire him unless they get really deep in the playoffs. Um, I think that... Um, We'll take a look at the standings, actually, right now. I didn't know if there were any other news. Well, you know, we'll get to LeBron's comments about the play-in in a second, but um, taking a look at the East, the Sixers are actually in first. I actually thought Brooklyn was in first. Uh, but Philadelphia in first place right now, two games in front of Brooklyn, and then the Bucks obviously, in third. Um, so, yeah, things still could change. The Bucks have beaten the Nets a couple times over the last couple weeks. So um, it's gotten actually closer in the East. So uh, really could be interesting to see who gets that two, who gets that three seed. Um, the Knicks currently in fourth place, and then the Hawks in fifth, and the Celtics in sixth. And then the Heat in seventh, Celtics ahead of the Heat based on the tiebreaker. Um, and then the Hornets in eighth, Pacers in ninth, uh, Wizards in tenth. Does not look like the Raptors are going to be able to catch the Wizards as they're three games back. Um, and then looking at the Celtics, they are uh, two games out of fourth place, but obviously have the head-to-head against the Knicks, so that could you know change. And the Celtics a game and a half back of fifth place Atlanta. Celtics do not play Atlanta the rest of the season. Um, and Celtics Heat, obviously two games this weekend. That will be huge. Um, and then you have the Pacers, uh, Hornets, and Wizards in those last three spots. Uh, things probably could change with the Pacers and Wizards as there's just a half game um, between those two teams, but I don't expect seven or eight to change, um, you know, unless the Celtics lose both or lose, yeah, lose both against the Heat and finish in the play-in. Um, and then you have the Bulls three and a half back of the play-in, so it doesn't look too great for the Bulls, but you bet that they're going to be playing with some uh, motivation and some urgency um, before Friday's game against the Celtics. And then you have in the West... Utah back in first place, one game ahead of the Suns. Um, And then Denver in third place, Clippers in fourth. Um, Top four in the West have clinched playoff spots. Top three in the East have clinched as well. So it looks like, you know, that's probably going to be the top four teams in the West. You know, the order might be different. Phoenix and Utah will battle for that top seed. And then Denver and the Clippers will battle for that third and fourth spot. Um, So that's probably going to be your top four in the West. Uh, Dallas is currently in fifth place. They've been playing some really good basketball, um, and they actually hold a tiebreaker over the Lakers, who are in sixth place, uh, both teams at 37 and 28. And then in the play-in for the Western Conference, the Trailblazers in seventh, Grizzlies in eighth, Warriors in ninth, and then the Spurs in tenth, just a game and a half ahead of the Pelicans who are trying very hard to get that last play-in spot. Spurs have lost uh, five straight, including that loss to the Celtics. So um, before we go and talk about baseball, uh, LeBron James made some interesting comments, but not exactly surprising um, when he said that the play-in tournament is stupid and whoever came up with that should be fired. And yes, LeBron is the same person who said a year ago that it was a great idea that the um, Grizzlies and Pelicans, you know, be able to play in a play-in. And it just kind of goes to show you that, 
okay, it's a great idea, but it's a great idea until it affects me. Um, and it just, you know, look, I, I respect LeBron and, you know, respect him for different reasons, but this is just so dumb and played out and just so, like, totally a LeBron thing. And it's like the NBA is doing, and whether you agree on the play-in or not, you know, is not the point, but it's like, it is a way to incentivize the end of the regular season so teams don't just coast. Um, and that's exactly what the Lakers are trying to do, that they're trying to coast into the playoffs and, you know, fall into the fifth or sixth spot and, you know, take out a team in the first round. And it's like, well, you know, LeBron, which is it? It's, it's just, it just, it just is so dumb. And it just is only becoming a conversation because the Lakers are now in danger of playing you know, in that play-in game. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. They're currently just a half game ahead of the Trailblazers uh, for sixth place. And yeah, very, very well they could play in the play-in round, you know, and I think that it probably it probably doesn't matter because they'll win anyway. They'll most likely beat Memphis um, or Golden State or whoever they play, but it just is like, you know... I tend to think it's a good idea, but it's like, LeBron, if you thought it was a good idea, don't just change now because your team is going to play in it. And it's also just like, it shouldn't matter. You guys should beat the team that you might play. Like, you should win no problem. And whatever, like, if you want to rest and you want to take games off, that's fine. But, you know, it just, uh, yeah, it just it just is really stupid and really irked me um, recently. So we'll get to some baseball get to some Red Sox. Um, Red Sox still in first place um, in the AL East. They are currently playing the Tigers right now um, and leading 2-1 to one in the third inning. Um, the Red Sox obviously lost the Tigers last night in 10 innings, 6-5. Uh, to five. They'd won their the first game 11-7 to seven the other night. So Red Sox trying to uh, get the rubber game in this series against the uh, Tigers, who have the worst record in baseball. So um, things have been, you know, continuing to be decent for the Red Sox, you know, but it just is interesting. And, you know, I don't notice this looking at the standings that no one's really breaking away. No one's really having a great record after the first month. And, you know, maybe it's not surprising, you know, to some people, but, you know, the Red Sox at 18 and 13, not a great record, but, you know, still in first place, you know, still playing decent baseball, still getting, you know, good pitching. You know, the bullpen was... I think has been a little bit of a problem recently in the last couple of games as they've uh, given up some leads and, you know, allowed some games to get closer. Um, so, you know, that obviously needs to start getting better. But I think that, you know, again, season's 162 games, you're going to have good stretches and bad stretches. You know, you'll have stretches where the starting pitching is consistently getting you to the sixth or seventh inning. Then you'll have stretches where they, where they struggle to get through five innings. You know, you'll have stretches where the offense scores five, six runs on average for, you know, 20 or 25 games. And then, you know, they start to slide, not be able to score very, very easily. And I think that it's just kind of the ebbs and flows of the season and um, not to get too hyped up on it, but I think the Red Sox, you know, still playing at a really good level, you know, getting some good offensive production from guys, getting some good starting pitching from guys and, um, you know, the up and down, losses and wins, I mean, they're, they're going to happen, you know, and I know Detroit's bad and it's like, you know, you don't ever want to lose to a team like that, but it's baseball, you know, it's not really something to get super 
concerned about. Um, Red Sox recently split a, two, a four-game series in Texas. They'll have a four-game series in Baltimore um, after the game against Detroit today um, at Fenway. So, you know, with talking about the offense and how good they've been, um, there have been a couple guys that have really struggled to hit the ball. Uh, Bobby Dalvik and Franchi Cordero, who uh, combined one home run, 11 RBIs, and are both hitting uh, well under 200. Two guys that are really struggling. And, you know, I'll be honest, this is exactly what I feared with Bobby Dalvik, that he'll have a great spring, he'll hit a lot of home runs, and people will start being like, okay, he's your everyday first baseman. But now he can't hit. He's hitting 183 on the season. You know, really can't has struggled to get on base has only five blocks, 31 strikeouts, you know, the home run. And it's just been, it's been disappointing for him. Um, and I think that he could use some um, time in AAA, you know, and I think Cordero should definitely as well as he's hitting 153, does not have a home run, has five RBIs, has four walks, you know, 26 strikeouts. And, you know, I think that, yeah, both of them could definitely use some time in, in Worcester. I think I said, I think I said Providence accidentally, but uh, you could use some time in Worcester um, to really try to improve their game. And I think that that's something that really kind of needs to happen sooner rather than later, because the bottom of the order has been a real issue uh, for the Red Sox. It is worth noting though, that Hunter Renfro has started to hit the ball a little bit better, has a couple home runs, a couple of doubles um, in his last six games. So maybe he's starting to turn the corner. Um, he now has 14 RBIs, three home runs, and is hitting just above 200 at 208. Um, but, you know, obviously the, the key guys are still hitting. You know, Bogarts is still hitting very well, as is J.D. Martinez. Um, you know, Devers is continuing to get that average up. Um, and Verdugo is continuing to stay over 400 or over 300. So, you know, some some bad stuff, some good stuff for the offense, but... Starting pitching has been consistent and has been very good. You know, Perez, I think, pitched into the sixth last night. Red Sox obviously couldn't get the win, but, you know, it's it's good. It's really solid that you're getting some good starting pitching and you're continuing to get that starting pitching. Um, and I think looking at the standings, the Red Sox are, you know, two games in front of the Yankees. And, yeah, the Yankees are starting to play better, which is something that you should expect. Um, there's some people thinking that, the Yankees are not going to be good this year. And it's like, um, how many times have we seen this movie? How many times have we seen them struggle in the first month or so? And then they're fine, you know? I just think that it's good that the Red Sox have gotten off to a good start and they've bought themselves, you know, some time that, okay, you know, we've gotten off to a good start. This is not going to be a lost season. And we're going to, you know, hopefully play at a clip like this for most of the season. You know, they're not playing unbelievably well. You know, they're only five games over 500. But then again, it's like no team in baseball is is six games over 500. I don't think. Uh, I have to look at the standings closely in a minute. But the Red Sox, two games in front of the Yankees. Um, and I think the division will get very interesting. Um, I think that, you know, the Red Sox really are one of four teams that are, you know, actually decent ball clubs and you know really could have a chance to win the division I mean I really think you know based on what we've seen that any of these teams could win the division um, the Red Sox at 18 and 13 unfortunately are 
you know, a team that struggles at home, which is kind of crazy. Um, but the Yankees have won five straight. Tampa Bay has won four straight. And they're actually within two games. They're a game and a half back um, of the Red Sox. So, you know, things will get interesting. Um, in the AL Central, you have three teams tied for first. Uh, Kansas City, Chicago, and Cleveland. Kansas City has lost four in a row. Cleveland has won four straight. Um, in the West, Oakland is at 19 and 13. Okay, they're a team that's six games over 500. They're still playing, you know, decent baseball after winning, I think it was 12 in a row. Um, and then the Phillies in first place in the National League East, Cardinals in the Central, and then the Giants in first place in the West. So they have kind of been a surprising team at 18 and 13, same record as the Red Sox. So uh, Red Sox ahead 2-1 to one in the third inning, ahead of the Tigers. They play their final game of a three-game set, and then they'll go play the Baltimore Orioles, who just got a no-hitter yesterday. Uh, John Means, yes, the same guy that uh, shut the Red Sox down um, on opening day at Fenway, uh, pitched a no-hitter yesterday. I believe it was the sixth in the Orioles franchise history. I think only their second as the Baltimore Orioles. I think they had a number of them as a different franchise. Um, and then I think, you know, only losing it because of a dropped third strike, you know, that, you know, pitcher swung and missed and the catcher, you know, you know, couldn't get the, or it was a wild pitch and then they couldn't, you know, get the runner out of first. So technically that counts as um, a, a runner that reaches base. So it was not a perfect game, but still, you know, impressive showing from means yesterday. So big stuff for the Orioles and they're not half bad this year. They're only a couple games out of first. I think they're maybe 14 and 15. So um, again, you know, it's that AL East that is kind of getting interesting. Um, one last bit on the Red Sox. It was reported the other day that Chris Sale um, has thrown off a mound for the first time since Tommy John surgery. So I think that that's a good sign. Uh, I'll be curious to see you know, in the next few weeks, if the timeline changes for him, you know, do they expect him to return at, at one point um, or another? That will definitely be something to uh, be worth checking out. Um, and then just now, actually, we had some breaking news coming into uh, the podcast a couple minutes ago that the Angels are releasing Albert Pujols. So um, I think that this very well might be his last season. Um, but, you know, it's too bad. You know, he's a guy that I've respected for so so long you know baseball is a game that you know i think a lot of us love as a young as as young kids um a lot of us love as kids and you know for some reason it just kind of it becomes less and less interesting but um albert was one of those guys that i loved watching um you know mo mainly mainly with the cardinals um you know played with him on mvp baseball he was absolutely unstoppable um but just a guy that I really um, respect and uh, hope that he can finish out the rest of his season somewhere else. Um, you know, not really sure what type of, you know, impact he can have on an offense, but um, career guys hit over um, 600 home runs, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so he's had quite a career, will definitely be a Hall of Famer. Um, and a guy that really, you know, did it the right way, you know, never was... I don't think ever was accused of, of, of steroid use. I don't think. Um, but, you know, tremendous career. Hopefully he can continue to do that this season. But, you know, just kind of just some sad news. Hopefully that, hopefully he can finish out his season. Um, 
So that will probably do it for uh, baseball. We'll get quickly to the revolution before we before I let you guys or before before we go. Um, off to a great start, Revs uh, with a two one win over Atlanta last weekend. Um, a game that Carlos Heel was uh, just tremendous in. He's been you know just a guy that is just so much fun to watch. Um, had an assist and a goal. Had the uh, penalty kick in the second half. It was kind of a uh, questionable call as he was taken down. It was a foul, but uh, it did not really look like he was in the box, but whatever. Revs will take it, and then he converts the penalty kick. Revs win 2-1 over Atlanta. So the Revs, with uh, three games into the season, have not lost and are currently tied for the most points in Major League Soccer. They have seven points tied with San Jose for first place in Major League Soccer, obviously their first place in the uh, Eastern Conference. Revs will play on the road in Nashville tomorrow, or uh, in two days, um, May 8th. That's an afternoon game. So, hey, if you want to watch a little bit of the revolution before the uh, Bruins play a three, uh, be my guest. Um, but, you know, Revs, I think, really have an opportunity to be really, really good this year. Um, so Carlos Hill already off to a tremendous start. Um, and I will just say, last note on the revolution, it is such a joy to listen to Charlie Davies and um, Brad Feldman do the games um, on, I think it's my TV on Verizon, well, it's channel 503 on Verizon. Probably not all of you guys have Verizon, but uh, they are a treat to listen to. They are just two guys that, you know, and I've listened to revolution games for a very long time. Brad Feldman has done games as long as I can remember, but um, having a guy like Charlie Davies is uh, just a pleasure to listen to. Um, if you are kind of into that sort of thing, you know, soccer is not really the biggest thing for me, although, you know, I do get hyped to watch the Revolution games, but um, definitely I'm hoping that people will kind of tune into them this season because they're going to be very, very exciting. Um, ex- I kind of expect them to go to big places this year and maybe even bring home a championship. So a uh, great start to the season for the Revs. I think that was one of the things that they you know, really wanted to make an emphasis of to start the season hot because they've had trouble getting out of the gate uh, the last couple of seasons. Obviously, two years ago when they had to fire uh, Brad Friedel 10, 12 games into the season, you know, and then, you know, Bruce Arena comes in and they somehow make the playoffs. You know, last year, I think that it's fair to kind of give them a pass because it's a freaking pandemic that they had to start the season in. Uh, with the MLS's back tournament and kind of had a number of players that were out of the lineup. You know, Carlos Heel was out of the lineup for almost the entire season um, last season, but then came back in the playoffs at the perfect time. Revs get to the uh, conference final. I still think that they absolutely could get back there this year and maybe even further. So uh, keep an eye on them. They will play um, tomorrow or uh, Saturday at one thirty in Nashville. Um, so that probably does it uh, for 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 me this week. Um, everyone, enjoy the weather the rest of the day. Enjoy the weather the rest of the weekend. Don't really know what the weather's supposed to be like, supposed to be like, but uh, enjoy your time outside. And uh, as always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and on Facebook. You can listen on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. All right, everyone, have a great weekend, and we will talk to you soon.